All right, folks, this show is sponsored by Anchor. A while back, we switched over to Anchor as our hosting platform for Panel to Panel. And to be honest, it's actually been one of the best experiences we've had when it comes to hosting our podcast. A lot of people think making a podcast is super difficult, but Anchor actually allows you to record and edit your podcast all on your phone if that's what you want to do. Anchor even helps you get your podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other places like that. That way you can get your podcast to a wide audience of different people. And the best part about it, it's totally free. So go ahead, check out Anchor.fm, or download the Anchor app on your phone or through the App Store or the Google Play Store and check it out today. Now let's turn the page and get to this week's episode of Panel to Panel. going on good people of the internet it's time for on comics rounds.com's flagship podcast panel to panel where a bunch of folks shoot the breeze and talk about comic books and such and i have missed saying that because we are back once again once again somewhere in the episode 50 territory where we are talking about the movie that we thought would never show up What am I talking about, folks? I'm talking about Zack Snyder's Justice League. A thing that we thought we would never get. Um, Thank you to uh, Warner Media and WB for for sending us a review copy for that. I was able to get our review out on time, the day of embargo lifting. That was an amazing opportunity, and we thank them for that. But now, Mary has seen it, Travis has seen it. We all three, the Trinity, has reunited to talk about this movie that we thought we would never get to see. So. Uh, don't forget, folks, that you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, YouTube, Pandora, Amazon Music, wherever the hell you want to listen to a podcast, you can listen to us, except for SoundCloud. We don't support SoundCloud. So make sure you check us out on those platforms. Uh, you, can listen, you can follow us on Twitter at PTP underscore podcast, or you can follow the website on Comics Ground on Twitter and Instagram at on Comics Ground. And you can check out the website on dash comics dash ground dot com for all the, the latest reviews, opinion pieces. Everything that you could possibly imagine we have there, and we will be pumping out brand new content now that we are back up and running, and we get excited for that. To my, actually no, my name is James Portis. To my left, we have the man who is busting his ass and apparently is building Gundams to take over the Earth. How are you doing today, Travis Tucker? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I finished that Gundam today, and now I'm working on a settlement in Valheim. It seems like everything I like to do is some sort of work for some reason. Uh, hashtag Ray Fisher was right. I just want to start, yes. start with that. Yes. Uh, we will talk about that. <laughs> yeah, fuck yes, we will. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm doing pretty good. All right. And then to my right, we have the woman who was probably horny off her ass for that amazing um, uh, re-edited Amazon scene. Uh, Mary, how you doing today? It was a very nice scene. It was, <laughs> yeah. Hey, 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 don't judge me. I'm not judging you. Like, like, it was a very nice scene. Like, the minute, and I will, like, that was the moment when the movie was playing where I knew Joss Whedon had fucked up 
because there's that moment where they all yell, we have no fear. Uh, I, was like, I was like, yes, yes, this, this is the signal that Joss Whedon fucked up. <laughs> see, and then it, I, I feel like there are so many in this whole film. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I, I'm so thankful. And the thing is, I, I, I legitimately was so negative. I, I against this movie. I was even like I even talked about it before on this on the show. This like literal podcast. I talked about how I was not interested in seeing this movie because of the fact of the community that was behind it. That there was such a toxicity within this community. And even Zack Snyder's got on record and ironically enough pissed off Ethan Van Skyver this week. Fuck you. Where um, apparently he came out and said um, fuck all the toxic motherfuckers that are that were uh, wanting this movie to be a thing. But, yeah, I know uh, Geeks and Gamers had a fucking meltdown. Yeah, I, I saw that shit. And it's like, that entire situation, that was the reason why I didn't want to see this movie. Hell, fucking Harley Quinn, the animated series, made fun of those kind of guys. Like, that was the reason why I didn't want to see this movie come to fruition was because of the toxicity in the community. So, to see it come out... It, it it left me conflicted, and I went into this movie into the into the screener so conf- like like conflicted and pessimistic that when that specific scene of the Amazons happened, I was like, all right, let's see what goes down because you gave me a reason to like this movie. You put such a more focus on them instead of just like there's a shot of the dog pile that they sort of like left in of. Steppenwolf reaching for the mother box in the Whedon cut. Now we understand why there's a fuck ton of Amazons on him because they dogpiled his ass and they wanted to make sure he didn't get out. And there's that the shot. Oh, one God. hell of a contingency plan. Right? And like they, they fucking, like the, the, in the Whedon cut, I even like pulled it up after I finished the screener. I pulled up the Whedon cut on my Blu ray and there's that shot of Steppenwolf in the Whedon cut where he tears through the wall. And like such a rushed CGI moment versus here, they fucking buried his ass with all those women. I was like, damn. And I think that's, um, I think a point that I kind of want to get off my chest in the beginning is the fact that um, Steppenwolf was much more effective as a villain in this film. Yes. Hell yes. Because removing Darkseid from the plot entirely, it it ultimately removed Steppenwolf's motivation. Yep. And it's the whole, the mother, you will love me, you will all love me thing. It, it, it was really weird. And like, it was creepy, but awkward creepy if that do you know what you know what it was if i if i may uh it was very freudian of whedon yes (laughs) yes it very much exposed whedon's mommy issues because there's that moment where like he's like speaking to a mother figure that's like the embodiment of the mother boxes and i'm like who are you talking to? Like, where is Darkseid? And then what, what What? was so much more telling to me was there's the flashback scene and how you can tell Whedon told somebody to copy, like, like to take the scissors and cut out Darkseid and put Steppenwolf in. And I'm like, what? 
What? What? What did you do? Like you ruined that entire fucking flashback scene. Cut it to, to shreds. Fucking took out sexy Zeus because I was offended by that. Because we need more sexy Zeus. Um, no, we do not. <laughs> and, and man, if Mary gets to be horny, I get to be horny too. Because sexy Zeus was great. Um, like that would mm, him, him, and um, younger Aries. They can get it because that that was fucking glorious. <laughs> but like, just in general, like that entire fucking fight scene. There was a green. Lantern more shown in that thing, and he looked like one of you, like he was Tomar Ray's relative. I was like, Yo, what the fuck? And it was just, and then apparently, th- th- this just came out that like Warner Media stopped uh, uh, Zach from putting in Jon Stewart into the Snyder Cut. And I was like, Um, what? <laughs> like, th- there's like, there was so much potential that was cut from this thing because of Whedon, or even in general, because of Warner Brothers, and I'm just like. Bruh. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that I think Steppenwolf's heightened effectiveness, you know, because he actually has a motivation, um, it made, it, it actually ended up raising the stakes because in the Whedon cut of the film, both the, the uh, scenes on Themyscira and the scenes in Atlantis, they're kind of laughable. Yeah, like, oh my god, yes. The the Amazons and the Atlantean Guard, they look damn near incompetent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, having giving Steppenwolf an honest-to-God motivation other than revenge, you know, having him trying to get back in Darkseid's good graces by throwing everything he has at trying to find these mother boxes. Um, and it, it heightens the the tension in those scenes. Um, you know, you have, you see a lot more hesitation from Hippolyta because I thought it kind of strange that Hippolyta is just like, all right, bye bitches, have fun. And, you know, she takes the box and goes, but we see a lot more emotional conflict with Hippolyta. Like the Amazons, they will fight to the last to carry out their duty or to protect something. And so, no, the, any of <coughs> any of the Amazons on that island would have given their lives to keep Steppenwolf away from that mother box. But Hippolyta is not without compassion. So when she kneels down and the other Amazons is honor us, like, you know, look, bitch, we're going to go down, but, you know, honor us as best you can. And, you know, the fact that without a second thought, you know, it's when she says seal it and you have those, delightful big bitches with the hammers oh my god the buff women holding up the stone wall uh-huh and, and like I- they, they made that one moment more justified because in the Whedon cut she doesn't say anything to them they just pick it up because they have to yeah or like, right. they like, just like knew that everything was coming down in the Whedon cut it was really the best weird. part the best part about that scene where they're holding up the wall is that, um, and this is in the behind the scenes for uh, the Blu-ray of the Whedon cut, is that those two women are actually holding up a weighted green screen door. Wow. So like, it's so that way you can see the muscle definition pop. And I think we saw a lot more of that in the Snyder cut. Yeah. And like, even that scene, there's a moment where like, once they're out of the building and Steppenwolf cuts the wall, Fucking, he just kind of like like just straight jumps to the next scene of him <laughs> tackling Apollo. Apollo just fucking teleports. She just goes like from one spot to the next, and then has to shoot at him. And it's like, how did you? What? 
Like there, there's like she has no emotional like struggle of seeing the the Amazon sacrifice themselves versus here you see her struggle with the fact that they just all fell to their deaths defending the island and I was like damn. And like I said, so I think that emotional struggle and it makes that scene of where she was going to try to take on Steppenwolf, but that Amazon was pinned under the horse and she's like, oh, wait a minute, gotta go help her. It makes more sense that, you know, Hippolyta couldn't save the ones in the chamber, but she can try to save this one. You know, Hippolyta, like Diana, does not sacrifice easily. Now, there was a lot of death in the Snyder Cut, like, oh my God, so much death. And Tons of violence. Where I don't think, and sorry, I'm going to go into a lady issue here. <laughs> where I don't think Snyder um, was as openly lecherous as Whedon was, because Whedon, it was just fucking gross. But Zack Snyder kind of, if they weren't you know, super badass, I'm gonna kill you. It was, oh god, I'm so helpless, someone save me. And I think we really need to look at that in the scenes with the Amazons and Wonder Woman and particularly Lois Lane and Iris West. Oh my that, god, that Iris scene was so fucking cringy. <laughs> I'm gonna, cause you know, and, um, cause you know, I tweeted some stuff after I watched it and I said it was nice to see these women not be creeped on and somebody pointed out the Iris scene and I'm like, shit, I didn't even think about that. That's not okay. Yeah, no, she didn't notice nothing about this shit. And just kind of just stared at her. Well, that was a little weird. Just a little weird. I mean, if like, I didn't like Ezra Miller's Flash before. I like, I, I like him a little more now. Yeah. But my dislikes are now for completely different reasons. Yeah. And like, because before I was like, "Yo, just please change your name to Wally West because you're such a like a fucking Michael Rosenbaum from the JLA TV show copy." Like, Bruh. please. And, like, like, that's literally all I kept thinking in the Whedon cut. Now it's more so, you're just a bit of a perv, and it's kind of weird. Like, I, I need you to calm down. Granted, the scene with him running at the end, bro, that was some next-level shit. Oh, where he outruns to shit was badass. Yeah, that's what made me like him as a character again. Now, granted, there's two things that... I will say, like, this is the only credence I'm going to give Whedon. The rest of this shit he can burn for. Because, like, because I'm going to have to rant about Cyborg in a minute. But, like, um, the, the two things I will give Whedon was the end credit scene with Superman and Flash was some of the most genuine, like, Silver Age comic shit I've ever seen. And I was a little bit bummed they took that out. And like I, I like I was kind of sad that was a Whedon scene rather than a than a Snyder scene because it felt really genuine and something that would happen. And then the other thing was, while I and I talked about this in my review a little bit, the granted Snyder's um, return of Superman feels more organic to his vision. I kind of preferred what Whedon did in the reshoots with the shitty mustache at the end, where Superman just kind of shows up and feels very like Silver Age, very like camaraderie, and like I he inspired, like right? And like he inspires Cyborg, justice, yeah, and like he like he inspires Cyborg and helps him with the boxes. Versus in the in the Snyder cut, he just sort of like yeets them aside for him, and I'm like. 
Where's the like the inspiring look into Ray Fisher's eyes? Like that was something I really appreciated about that version. Granted, here in the Snyder Cut, he fucking rips Steppenwolf a fucking new one, and it was great. Like that was glorious. You just beat his ass. I love that shit. Hell, like her fucking Wonder Woman cleaving Steppenwolf's head off and and fucking uh, Aquaman stabbing him through the chest. That was glorious. But like. I really did kind of enjoy seeing a little bit of Silver Age Superman from Whedon. And it kind of sucks because I hate Joss Whedon as a person. So it's just like that little bit Whedon did gave me the Superman I had always wanted to see from Henry Cavill. And I'm sad. But at the same time, I, I appreciate everything that Warner Brothers did for Snyder. Giving him the chance to put his vision forth the way he wanted to. and. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the person to say it. This is probably the best job. Uh, no, no, not Josh Whedon. Jesus Christ, the best Zack Snyder thing I've ever fucking seen. Uh, this is like, I'm gonna be that guy. Like, uh, uh, Dawn of the <laughs> Dead exists. Thank you very much. Dawn of the right. Dead exists, but but Dawn of the Dead exists though. But like in terms of a labor of love, in terms of a story, I think this hits different. Like, 300 is great. Dawn of the Dead is great. But like, this hits different. I mean, I think it's also important. And I have one more lady point I'm going to want to make here in a minute. Um, something I think that needs to be pointed out, and this isn't to discredit anything, but the Snyder Cut was made with the benefit of hindsight. Yep. Because we don't know how much was completely original. Because, they, you know, uh, Warner Media gave Snyder about $70 million to finish it. And I'm not interested in arbitrary conversations of it was always finished or haha, it was never finished. Like, shut up. I don't care. But, you know, there were definitely things that were added. And I feel like there was a lot that was potentially approved on in hindsight. For, like, think back to the flashback sequence with the Green Lantern costume. Don't tell me that that wasn't something that was done with hindsight. Like, oh, okay, you know, maybe this is the original, the costume from the Whedon cut was how it was storyboarded and how it was done here. And, you know, it's a lot more polished. There are things that are far more polished. Don't forget the whole we live in a society bullshit. <laughs> Victoria showed me something and somebody pointed out that they thought it was hilarious that they used that, that as a trailer spot but nowhere was it in the film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. They cut that part. And the other lady point that I want to make, and um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who was just absolutely heartbroken by the film. And um, Zack Snyder, this is something that he has gotten progressively worse about over the years, and this does exist in almost all of his movies, is using dead women as man pain. And I know the word man pain can be very funny, but it is, it's, it's a legitimate trope and it's everything from TVs to movies to comic books. I mean, you know, using dead women as man pain is a staple of like eighties and nineties action films that then, you know, your male protagonist is rallied for that one final thing in the eighties. It was often sexual assault. And, you know, it, it heightens that I wasn't able to protect the women no matter how capable they were. Because in the nightmare sequence, we see dead Diana. And the Amazons have clearly given up because, you know, here comes the, you know, uh, parademons and shit to come stomp all over the Amazons. Um, 
that very gross line about Harley Quinn in the end. Like, I would have told you Jeff Johns wrote that line. Of, when I held Harley Quinn as she was dying, bleh. And, like, you know, Batman wasn't saying that as a, hey, I'm gonna, you know, I held Harley while she died, and I will kill you for her. It was Joker teased him about Robin, so Batman threw Harley in his face. And that's a very, Batman wouldn't do that. He would be like, hey, I'm gonna kill you for this shit you said about my children. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna kill you again because I held Harley Quinn while she died. See, and the the problem with that is is it all sounds really weird because Bruce Wayne's not exactly a murderer. Well, yeah. What bugged me the most about that scene was the fact that A, well, here's the thing. We, we we can sit here and praise Bruce Greenwood for his amazing speech at the end of Under the Red Hood till the cows come home, but we've proven time and time again that every multimedia version of Bruce Wayne is going to be a fucking killer, whether you would like it or not. We like we all ran over people with the bat tank at Arkham Knight. Fucking Michael Keaton killed bitches. No, 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 fucking no, no. fucking Ben Affleck killed bitches. I'm like, sorry, I, in any adapted property where Batman does not kill, I refuse to believe people do not die of bat-related injuries. Right? It's just like, everybody, like, like, like I'm gonna set the record straight, if any person that listens to the show thinks that Batman doesn't kill people, fucking get over it. Like, at this point, like, think, the, the original I fucking think, version used a gun! I think where, for me that uh, that argument falls is that I think there's a difference between killing and murder. Yes. You know, uh, killing is an act of survival. My dad ended up killing people in the military um, because, you know, it was a them or him situation. I'm not advocating for it. I'm using that as an example that, um, you know, so this was a thing that he did to preserve his survival because it was a surprise attack. And, you know, versus premeditated murder. I think that realistically speaking, there would be situations outside of a perfect comic book universe where Batman can use like his x-ray bat vision to see every hairline fracture that someone has. (laughs) There would be, there would be accidental deaths. And, um, I, I think it was, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here. But I think to me, that's where it goes is that, and you know, in the comic books, we have seen Batman be the cause of accidental deaths. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is even beyond the golden age because golden age Batman, you know, pre 1940. So we're looking at that very limited time window in 1939 and early 1940, where Batman shoots a vampire. And I love it. Oh my God. But he's, he's a, you know, Batman was originally introduced as a very clear ripoff of the shadow who was a gun toting vigilante, even to this day still is. That's why the Scott Snyder team ups with dynamite before dynamite went to crap of the shadow and Batman are fucking amazing. It's a meme. And, you know, Batman was a ripoff. And at the time, everyone knew that because that just was the market at the time. That's why you have Aquaman and Namor, Man-Thing and Swamp-Thing. So, like, that's why you have all of these characters that are very similar from specific time periods. It's just because it's the way that the market works. Mm-hmm. But, so that's, that is what that Golden Age time slot played in. And, you know, I like to point it out because Batman has never killed anyone ever. 
is a belief that I do like to dispel because I don't think we shouldn't look at the history of comic book characters. So yeah. I point out the particularly murderous origins of Batman within the Golden Age because, you know, just because it was the 1940s doesn't mean that that's not relevant superhero history. You know, every major superhero from every major comic book publisher at the time used very strong racist language during World War II against the mm. Japanese. We can't discredit that. You know, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Captain America, all of these Paragon heroes used this kind of racist language and ideology. They did, yeah. The so, war bond thing just used to be so explicit of like Captain America saying that the like like Asian people needed to like pay for the, their crimes. Like uh-huh. it used to be really freaking bad. So you know, using that to kind of recontextualize the whole history of Batman thing is that you know, like I said, we haven't seen Batman explicitly murder anyone outside of you know super noir trendy shit. <laughs> So, I think the difference here in particular is it's not it's not hitting some random asshole with the Batmobile playing Arkham Knight or someone bashing or Batman bashing someone's head into a coma. It's particularly him going up to the Joker, the guy he notoriously right. says, I won't fucking kill you, and going, I'm gonna fucking kill you. I mean, like, at that point, though, in, a, in an apocalyptic setting, I feel like Bruce was kind of pushed to that point where he was like, bro, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to murder you when this is over. But, Which... I, almost, but I almost feel like that uh, kneecaps Snyder's own narrative. Because bit, yeah. in Batman vs. Superman, Batman vs. Superman, at the end of the day, it's a Batman movie. And we all know that. It's part weird media political thriller and part Batman movie. It is Batman responding to the events of Man of Steel, which conceptually is a really cool idea. But, you know, at that point, he's gotten, quote unquote, you know, the the line in the uh, Ultimate Edition that Batman, quote, got mean. And he just starts killing people and branding people. And he has fallen so far of what he wanted. You know, uh, Robin it's dick grayson is the dead robin is it really it is dick grayson that's what? fucking right. it's dick uh, grayson uh, snyder, snyder snyder confirmed that ages ago that it's dick grayson that's disgusting but, yeah uh, dick grayson and or jason todd is dead so you know he has lost everything and i um from what i understand he has mentioned the fact that carla gugino was almost catwoman and she and Bruce and Selena had been married and divorced. Fun fact, Carlo Gugino was actually the voice of the um, uh, the uh, Superman ship in uh, Snyder Cut. Because I'm like, why does she sound familiar? And sorry, I'm a huge fan of the, um, uh, first of all, Spy Kids, and second of all, of the Haunting of Netflix series. <laughs> I, I mean, it makes sense because Zack Snyder knows her from uh, Sucker Punch, so it makes sense that he would bring mm-hmm. her back for something like that. But no, she was originally going to be, you know, Selena as Bruce's ex-wife. That would have been glorious because I love her. So we see that downswing trend of Bruce has lost everything. And so he's, quote unquote, gotten mean. He has started killing and has blackened his soul almost, if you want to look at it in pseudo-poetic imagery. But then here comes Superman, who's totally not a Jesus metaphor. Zack Snyder is super subtle about that. Jesus. Uh, Super totally Jesus. not a Jesus metaphor. 
Jesus. But, you know, so Jesus. then you have Superman coming onto the scene and through the sacrifice and the fight with Doomsday and then his need to bring him back. And, you know, somebody points out that Batman doesn't kill anyone in Justice League. Yep. That he has moved beyond that because he saw what a hero actually was. And I, I say that conceptually within this context, not that I don't think Batman's a superhero. But so that was kind of the whole philosophical arc with Batman was learning how to be a good guy again. And, you know, we see the scene in the Snyder Cut where he um, where he has the Wonder Woman gauntlet. Like, that was really cool that he's looking at these two people and he's learning from them. And he's learning from this team that he's assembled to have that weird thing in the nightmare sequence where he's all like, hey, Joker, I'm gonna kill you. Like, that kneecaps the philosophical, you know, progression of Batman. Just the entire thing, like, nightmare scene in general. Lost that girl in one line. Pretty (laughs) much, yeah. Like, and what's crazy about that, like, what well, a that entire nightmare scene, it shouldn't have just been like stapled to the end of the movie, like it was a like the like a last draft add-in. Zack Snyder doesn't know how to end a movie to save his life. Yeah. I mean, almost, and I I am a fan of Zack Snyder, and I have been for a very long time. You know, Dawn of the Dead was my first introduction to him because I love zombie films, and I stuck with his career ever since. You know, the ending of Sucker Punch. Um, it holds a special place in the heart of people in my city because the bus that Vanessa Hudgens gets on in the end of the movie goes to my city. So we're oh, all like, man. oh my god! Um, but no, Zack Snyder doesn't know how to end a movie to save his life. He's what I like to call a wait a minute, one more thing director. That you just want to <laughs> tag on one thing at the end. And then that one yeah. thing becomes five more things to tag on. And what's crazy is that entire end, like that entire nightmare scene. It, I already know the perfect place you could have put that shit. You could have put that shit at the part where Barry outruns time. You could have stuck that shit right there, or you could have put it when Cyborg fucks up. When Cyborg like like has that that nightmare vision, you could have put that shit there, and then we could have moved the fuck on. Like it would have revealed Deathstroke a little bit early and killed the vibe, but like it would have been such more great placement than what you did. And to swim back to the Batman issue, the the what what shows the progression of Bruce as a character is we don't need to see him dick sucking Superman to the point that him and Wonder Woman have a weird pseudo relationship and then have it break up because of uh, him wanting to resurrect Clark. Like there's actually just him being a character in the ensemble versus him trying to like obsess over this team and obsess over bringing Clark back from the dead to the point that there's that little cutaway line where where Diana shows up and, and he's like thanks for coming and he's like I didn't do it for you I did it for him and it's like we don't need that here they're always united that makes the, that makes the entire movie so much more organic is the yeah. fact that Snyder focused on the team rather than trying to divert different things and if anything and as travis brought up before ray fisher was right and fucking the best development of this entire movie and the reason why that warner media needs to shut the fuck up and cut ray fisher a check and tell uh uh, hamada to to, like like, apologize is the fact the wrongs that were done to ray fisher because you got fucked over so hard in this movie 
he lost, right. he went from like a side character, like in the Whedon cut, he shows up, he's like, Yeah, I'm a freak of nature, but I'll help y'all. And that's kind right? of his whole fucking thing. Exactly. And then in this one, like they have the scene with the tape recorder. I fucking mm. my favorite shit of the whole movie is when his father's explaining to him like what he's capable of, yeah. and they juxtapose that audio with shots of him trying it as it's being explained. Yeah. Like, if there's any way to fast forward someone's character development and keep them a meaningful part of the story, that was it. Exactly. What the fuck, what the fuck was Whedon thinking when he was like, uh, let's just have him show up in a hoodie. That's cool, right? Black right? Black. And there's that moment where, like, like I compared the two scenes with my Blu-ray and with the, the screener. I looked at um the, the two different scenes of, of Diana and, and Cyborg. Of like the meeting, and Diana wears the same outfit. She wears the same thing, and she pulls up uh, the same Mercedes. But like Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot recorded no new scenes for the Snyder cut. Shit. So, so every oh. everything we have of Gal Gadot was originally shot footage. So that means and, they just cut all was, the Ray Fisher redos, and or was CGI. Um, well, yeah. because because her cutting off Steppenwolf's head that was um I think it was storyboarded and in, in like pre-CGI'd because um before the Snyder cut was confirmed to be a thing, Snyder revealed on his Instagram that it is Diana who kills Steppenwolf. That's awesome. But no, so we know for a fact that Gal Gadot shot no new scene. So everything that was her that was added had been shot before. Mm -hmm. And like there's the shot of her and Victor. The audio for for Gaul plays up the same way. Everything she says is the same, but Whedon made Ray Fisher reshoot that entire scene in a hoodie for no reason, even though the scene would had already been shot of him pulling up, fucking jetpacking in and talking to Diana versus him walking out, the lights flickering, and he's in a hoodie. And I'm like, why did you do this? Why did you change that? You cut his entire character development in an entire scene and just ruined the entire thing what made you do that and like they redid scenes of him in the hoodie in the apartment for no reason you brought back silas stone's actor and had him do some bullshit less character development scenes with ray and it's like what are you doing and like well, the biggest thing for me that showed that joss whedon was a fucking idiot was the, the <laughs> yes but like the scene in the um fucking the it, when, when they're going to save the, the people because there's such a stark contrast of um cyborgs like going to save his dad it was a knee-jerk decision and you can tell the cuts that Whedon did to that scene where he just went, he went in and fucking Windows Movie Maker and was like, cut this, cut this, change the audio here. Because, like, versus, like, because if you look at the two different ones, fucking Steppenwolf's over here, like, oh, I can smell the mother box on you. Versus here, he, like, he's yelling at the general, like, do you know anything? And I'm like, wow, you're a fucking idiot. And then there's, like, the, the different versions, and there was no need for Ezra Miller to get a pep talk from Ben Affleck in this version. There was no safe one, and you'll be fine. Like, no, we didn't need that. Ezra Miller hopped into fucking action because he knew what he needed to fucking do. There was no need for him to get a fucking anxiety pep talk from for, for Bruce Wayne and then have no development the rest of the movie. I'm not going to lie, though. I was fucking not, not disappointed. Something more intense than disappointed 
when the reason that he had to run through time was because he was like holding his wound going ah. <laughs> like he's fucking uh, Peter Griffin. That fucking shit pissed me off so bad. I'm like, suck it up. You you have the speed force. Just run or something. And then they're like, Barry, you fucked up. And then he just fixes it. I was like, okay, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like that entire fucking sewer scene was so different. And then there's that fucking, uh, that stupid titty scene was so obnoxious. And then like, they change it like you can tell that Whedon was a slick motherfucker because the the the, the easy little like movie maker changes he made where he cut out the the version that Zach had already filmed and then put in his stupid little fan fiction of Ezra falling on the titties and then we found out <laughs> we found out later on that Gal Gadot knew nothing about this and I was like what the actual fuck. <laughs> And everyone was just generally uncomfortable. Like, 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 I, I, I remember Mary had told me about this, and I was so triggered on Gaul's behalf. Did Mary die? No, sorry, I had to readjust my microphone. Oh, okay. But it, no, it, it was Garbaggio. That's what that was. Yes, it's one of those women who. You know, in my preteen and formative years and whatnot, I I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer religiously. As as much as I could, I watched Buffy a lot. And then as you get older, you kind of start to realize, hold up a minute. And, you know, it, it rapidly became one of those, okay, he's a little... Eh. And part of you that latched onto that character when you were so young wants to try and, you know, when you're like 14, you want to try and find ways around it, but you realize that you can't. And so it, it has just kind of cycled into one of these things. If I'm looking at this situation and I'm like, how the hell have I looked at any property this man has, you know, even been within six feet of and felt some kind of like, yeah, because I mean, millennial women, a lot of us loved Buffy. Like, I was a, I was Buffy the Vampire Slayer for Halloween when I was like 11 or 12. That's adorable. Like, and it, it's just one of those how, and you know, going back and watching certain Buffy things as an adult, it's fucking disgusting. Like, and it's just, it makes me want to rip my hair out because when I was much younger, I fell for it. And it's just, you know, the way that he wraps up pseudo-empowerment with sexuality, it just, it makes my skin crawl. And, you know, I know I'm not the only woman that had this experience. And, you know, because I've had uh, friends who are women that didn't watch Buffy when they were younger or watch it when it was on, you know, if they're slightly older than I am. Going back and watching it now, they're kind of like, wow, this is gross. And I'm like, <laughs> you fucking watch this? <laughs> and it's just kind of like, you know, I was between the ages of like, oh, God, I watched I watched a lot of things in the 90s that I shouldn't have. Um, yeah, I watched a lot of things in the 90s that I shouldn't have, but, um, you know, so, and even then we had old VHS recordings of Buffy that I would watch a lot when I was like 12 or 13, and it, it's just, 
Uh... Like, I feel so bad for y'all because you look to this man as, like, the savior who gave you guys this role model, and then you find out he's just this fucking horrible person. Like, especially now, after Ray Fisher said what he said, now you have people from Buffy coming out and and, uh, confirming that Ray Fisher's justified in what he's saying. And I'm like... Yo, what the fuck is wrong with one person that he has this much bullshit coming out? And the worst part is that Ray Fisher isn't even the first person to come forward and talk about issues with Joss Whedon. There were other, there were other Buffy cast members, uh, several of them being stunt doubles, that came forward years ago and said, no, the guy is insane. But this was coming off of the hype from Avengers. Yup. And around that, you know, 2012, 20, you know, between like 2012 and 2015, Joss Whedon could do no wrong. He couldn't be touched. And, you know, after the failure that was the cinematic cut of Justice League, because he bounced back from Age of Ultron fairly well. I mean, you know, really the only people complaining about the movie were weirdly obsessed Ultron fans and women. And no one really wanted to, like, justify their complaints, especially when... But then, like, his wife came out uh-huh. and was talking shit, and that started to raise eyebrows. And then Justice League happened, and it was like, oh, we have a problem. And it just got worse. But, and I think a lot of that boils back to Joss Whedon creeping on women isn't new. And, you know, we're, pe- we're we have all of the pieces now... And we're looking at, you know, because you know, people from Buffy have been talking for years about how shitty of an environment that it was. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of, you know, Joss Whedon is creepy to women is just kind of like, a, you know what? It happens. Don't worry about it. But look, Buffy's such an empowered character. It makes up for it. But it's like even fucking James Marsters came out and said the, like, like the shit about how apparently... Like, like, Whedon was pissed that Spike was popular, so now, like, he was abusing him on set for being popular. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, I mean, <sighs> and it's in season six where Spike sexually assaults Buffy. Mm. And, you know, they still have this big whirlwind romance. Not to mention, you know, Tara's death sparking the newest, you know, wave of, you know, the dead lesbian trope, which pre-existed Buffy, but had largely dropped off the radar. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I do not mean to turn this into woman's problems with Joss Whedon. No, no, no. Like, because I'm over here ranching, too, because I'm pissed. Me and Travis are about to go the fuck in, because you Yo. look at Ray Fisher, like, Ray Fisher, this man deserves a motherfucking Oscar for this movie. Like... Oh. Like I'm gonna be the one to fuck. I'm gonna I'm, I'm say it. I'm gonna say it because and, and someone I mean, someone put this on Twitter earlier. Fucking Ray Fisher does more with the black superhero here than and I, damn it, I hate that he's dead because it sounds like I'm, I'm speaking ill on his name. Fucking, it sounds like like Ray Fisher did more in this movie than Chadwick did in Black Panther. I'm gonna be the nigga to say it. Like See, the problem with that is, is uh, as much as I like Cyborg's reimagining, I, I wouldn't even say a reimagining. His his retelling, his, his, yeah, his uh, retelling because because Johns is the one that did right. So Ray Fisher's like retelling of Cyborg was very good. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, but there were a few moments where I felt like Fisher's acting was a little uh, monotone. Like like a little, little monotone. Like he could have had a little more emotion. Instead are, of are you talking? Are you talking about the uh, like the, uh, thanks, Alfred? I'll take it from here. You are you talking about that? that? 
Yeah, that there was a few others that I, I'd have to rewatch the movie on, but there were some where I was like, "Oh, I love the development, but ah." Oh, see, see I'm, ah. I'm, 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 I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna raise you uh, Chadwick's accent. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm gonna raise you. I'm gonna raise you on the Chadwick accent. How you? You know, Chadwick's <laughs> accent was iconic at this point. <laughs> I mean, James' superhero accents. You know, take Chadwick's accent as Black Panther and like all of the mascara. Valid. Or, or Wanda in Age of Ultron. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I hated Ultron. Like we've we've been over this. Ultron was horrible. But I mean, like the generic Eastern European accents that okay, Peter okay, had. fair, it's, fair. You know, it's, with superhero movies, generic accents are just kind of accepted because True. you know, you know, when <sighs> God damn it, I lost my train of thought. These damn anxiety meds. But, no, you, know, cool. you have accents that sound, you know, vaguely Eastern European. You have, you know, in Age of Ultron, you have the accents in Black Panther that sounded vaguely African. In, um, you know, any of the properties where we've seen the Amazons, you have accents that are vaguely Gold Godot. Yeah. Like, but, <laughs> not even a real life. <laughs> right, like, right. But at the, at the same time... Heavy Israeli accent. And, yeah. you know, sometimes accents are just too thick that, you know, she really can't work her way around it. So all of the Amazon, like Connie Nielsen, has a completely different accent because I'm pretty sure she's Danish. Yeah, she is. And so, and like... It, that's why, in, you know, if we look at these superhero properties, that's why these accents are all so inconsistent because there's no like one thing to look at. It's right. like, okay, we have to have this island full of women, you know, to cover the fact that Gogudo has a really thick accent, or you know, we have to have Black Panther and Wakanda sound vaguely African, but you know, it's just kind of you know you can't really pinpoint exactly where on the continent Wakanda would be. So you have to kind of roll things together. Mm. Well, like to, to be fair to James's point, uh, Chadwick's accent was a little like Arnez J. Okay, like yeah. making fun of like, it took, it, it took him a minute to get comfortable. Like the latter half of the movie felt more organic versus the beginning or even parts of civil war where it was like, yo, you're struggling. You're struggling. But so on it's that like, same hand, like, whereas with Ray Fisher, there were moments where I felt like he could have been a little more, uh, like, happy or excited well, for I, what was happening, but he he would just, like, stone-face the camera, like, I am Ron well, Burgundy. Well, no, and oh, that's funny. But, like, my thought process behind that was, and what I've criticized Doom Patrol about was, you see a more robotic getting used to his ability cyborg here. You see someone that's like dealt with loss, dealt with anxiety about losing his mother, the hatred he feels towards his father for the majority of the movie, and yet you see him having to literally make the hardest choices like to save the earth, whereas he probably hates himself. He doesn't understand why the hell he's the way he is. And that's what pissed me so much off about the Wheaton cut was they turned the mother boxes into like this random MacGuffin item that just uh, destroyed things versus the difference in the explanation that was in the Snyder cut. 
where it's like, yo, no, they don't give a fuck what it is. They're just going to transform it. They would rather transform living matter rather than destroy it. So that spoke volumes to me was Ray Fisher wanted to make this performance his own. And I was like, yo, give this man an Oscar or like something. God damn. Because it was such a powerful performance. And it's crazy that... And, like, while I'm sad that they cut the weed and reshot Superman scene, because this is where that moment of inspiring Cyborg would have been justified versus what we got in the Whedon cut, because there was no development for Cyborg. If you would have, like, like, if you would have juxtaposed that entire development for Cyborg versus Superman coming in and being hopeful for him over all the pain he's dealt with, especially when he said, I am, I, I'm not broken and I'm not alone and have it emphasized by Superman being encouraging to him would have been nuts. So it's like, I hate that I have to give Whedon credit for something because that was a really good scene. <laughs> Hey, you're talking to a dude who named his daughter Serenity. I don't like giving Whedon any more credit than he's already gotten from my ass. So, so it's like I I really want to punch him in the throat because while you gave me a really good Superman, you literally white manned the shit out of a dude who did nothing wrong by you. Like Zach and him had this camaraderie and were making an amazing character out of something that Jeff Johns created years ago. And what pisses me off more is Jeff Johns is the one that wanted to put Cyborg in the forefront. So for him to be the one who let uh, Joss Whedon make these changes and shit on Ray Fisher when when Jeff Johns was the one that said he agreed with um, McDuffie and didn't want the Justice League to be so white anymore. What the fuck? <laughs> Honestly, though, <laughs> like it raised like I wanted to sit Jeff Johns down and be like, what happened to you? Like, did did Hollywood get to your head? Like, what <laughs> happened to make you think that you could just throw everything you did out of the window? You fucking made Cyborg a, a member of the Justice League. You fucking brought more diversity to the Teen Titans. You brought a new generation into the JSA. You did, you did all these amazing things in the DC Universe. You created Stargirl and she has her own fucking TV show. And yet, you are shitting on your entire legacy by being racist to one man. What See, the fuck? Here's the thing. Here's the thing is comic books aren't very good at reflecting that their writers are sexist or racist pieces of shit, depending yeah, on what look they're at writing. Honestly. Like <laughs> and I, I remember know, for for I, years Whedon was like supposed even Van Skyver be... can't be racist because he drew Jessica Cruz's hand. Oh. <laughs> Like, bro, it, it, apparently, I don't know how, I don't know why, he got a credit in the fucking Snyder Cut. I don't know how, but, like, apparently he was credited in, in the credits for Snyder Cut, Skyver was. And I want to know why. Like, did he draw he something that was inspirational to you? Because it, he did it nothing. <laughs> it typically, from what I understand, the etiquette is also that you credit um creators whose work that you have um used in preparation for the script or that you had the actors read so it could be something like he got tossed in because he drew something um i i'm not trying to make excuses i'm just trying to find an explanation no, because you're, you're right. not only do we have racist piece of shit ethan van skyver but we also have like you know louis simonson uh. <laughs> 
you know, it's probably one of the most prodigious Superman writers of, you know, the 1990s. And I love pointing it out to douche bros that their favorite comic, that their favorite Superman comics were written by a girl. Right. So it's just like, damn, I love Simon. Like she, she's one of the only people that I actually like, like her and Jurgens have made Superman worth my time. I know I cling to 90s Superman too hard. No, no, like you're right because like Actually, if it weren't, you know, if I, it weren't I, for Tomasi and Jurgens and Simonson, I would probably hate Superman. And if we're taking notes from Snyder, that black suit comes straight out of the '90s. So I, I'm okay. thinking yeah. that's something. <laughs> and you know, the more I sit here and the more I've thought about it in hindsight, I'm sorry, I'm going to drag you two back into the lady issues again. Let's go. Uh, but um. It's something that, you know, as through the course of the conversation that I've been able to kind of piece together, um, the fact that, you know, I've mentioned that uh, before that, you know, uh, Scott Snyder, oh God, Zack Snyder, no, not Scott, Scott, you're fine, um, <laughs> Zack <laughs> Snyder, um, using dead women as man pain. And, you know, it, it ties back to the nightmare sequence with me. Is that, you know, in that thing, we see dead Diana and that ties directly to Bruce because, you know, Wonder Bat is a very popular chip among, you know, a lot of comic book fans. I actually don't hate it. It's not I, horrible. I, it's my favorite and, ship, if I'm being yeah. really honest. I mean, like, I like a different kind of Wonder Bat primarily, but <laughs> I, I'm fine either way. <laughs> but no, I, I, I have always really liked Bruce and Diana. And uh, so, you know, we have that, you know, there's the scene where their hands touch the mouse at the same time. Like, that's clearly the direction that this was headed. So you have Bruce being spurned on by the death of Diana. You have Bruce throwing Harley in Joker's face and that shuts him up. <laughs> and um, you have I, I'm only I'm going to presume that Iris is dead as well. Probably. And not to mention that, like, the whole thing is is sparked because of dead Lois. So you have at least, I'm going to give it eh, three and a half dead women, because we don't know the situation. With <laughs> three <Iris>. and a half. <laughs> now, I mean, probably give... Martha's dead, too, if we're being honest. That makes, that yeah. makes four and a half. And I mean, I'm going to give Cyborg a pass, because in the co- his mother's death is canonical in the comics. Yes. So that's nothing new. So that's not going to be brought into this point that I'm making here. That's but justified man pain. The, that, that is justifiable man pain. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just, it's not something that was added in later. And so the whole thing was sparked by dead Lois, that Superman loses all of his, you know, love of humanity because he couldn't protect Lois. And a friend of mine pointed out that, you know, they repurpose a shot of Man of Steel from Man of Steel. And not only is it kind of, it's not even, oh, Lois is ambivalently dead. We see her charred skeleton. Mm-hmm. Like, it, she dies horrifically. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Lois Lane. I always have been. And I'm sure both James and Travis are very surprised by this revelation. Yeah, Laura, Van, Laura Vander... Not, not Laura, forget, uh, what's her fucking name? No, Erica Durrance is a better uh, Lois Lane. I'm gonna... I'm, I'm gonna beat you with a framed portrait of Margot Kidder. 
No, 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 no. Like, okay, for for reference, uh, listeners, me and Mary have a have a dying feud that um, Amy Adams and Erica Durrance compete for the second best Lois Lane, and Erica Durrance is a better a Lois Lane, and we, oh, we and I will die and I will die on that hill. <laughs> I, I will forgive the fact that Lois is a redhead. <laughs> because Amy, Adam, Amy Adams typically, and you you see this in most of her films. I'm wondering if she has a personal preference for this. She typically doesn't alter her hair. Nope. And honestly, if my hair was naturally that exact shade of red, I wouldn't touch it either. She looks more like fucking Lana Lang from the comics than she does fucking she Lois does. Lane. <laughs> but and I think you know it, it was just kind of an overarching narrative from the story that it made me really angry. And unfortunately I am such a deep fan of the comics and I liked the way that things were improved on that. It didn't hit me until hindsight. And I was talking with this friend and it, it was just, you know, she and I were just, you know, she was telling me about her grievances and like more is dawning on me throughout that conversation that I'm like, God damn it. Like, and I'm a fan of comic books and I am a woman and you know I've been reading comics for oh oh dear god over 20 years oh god wow. oh god someone help me um <laughs> I turn 30 next year so I'm not I'm having like a crisis. I'm in that same boat I turned 29 this year and I'm like <laughs> no Travis Travis Victoria turns 30 this year <laughs> oh no you're taking so the like, cougar run so we're both kind of like rocking back and forth we're old now (laughs) but and it's just you know so i expect and i am ambivalent to a certain degree of man pain that oh no something happened to silver saint cloud or whatever just a name i threw out there i haven't thought about her in years wow that's a really deep right that is just a really weird name to throw out there yeah, that, that, that sent me into a deep, dark place that is Gotham, and I don't like it. But, like, so, oh no, something horrible happened to the woman. So, I'm used to a certain degree of that. I don't like it, but it's something I've had to force myself to get used to. But seeing it done so openly in the movie, like, it's so upsetting that I would have expected Joss Whedon to do this. That yeah. that line about Harley, it gave me hives. Victoria and I just kind of looked at each other and made a face. Because that's some Jeff Johns bullshit. It really is. It really like like it feels like Jeff. Bro, like, dude, dude, if you go back and like Mary and I have talked about this on the record before. If you go back and look at like Infinite Crisis or like Countdown, like J- Jeff Johns even though he created one of the most iconic DC women of all time being Stargirl, he doesn't really know how to write women and Diana is one of them. So when he just shits the bed on, on a woman character, it's just like, why? And it's just, I, I try, I'm trying really hard not to go off on a tangent, but like a degree of me, I was really disappointed with that aspect because it's, you know, oh, we've got to use dead Lois to make Superman evil. We have to use dead Harley to shut up Joker. We have to use, you know, dead Wonder Woman to show that the situation is super hopeless. Like, 
And, you know, the Amazons, you saw that scene with Hippolyta, you can see that Hippolyta has very clearly given up. And it's just like something about it just genuinely hurt because, and I'm not like, oh, I'm triggered. I'm not doing any of that. But it's just that kind of creeping sense of disappointment that kind of crawls up the back of your neck. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yep. And it's just that kind of settled in. And it doesn't hit until later. And it settles in deep. And it's just, wow. This is going to do some actual damage. Because, I mean, you know, if you look at 90s Superman, which, in my opinion, is the best era of Superman. Yep. And, um... Lois is a very competent individual and any experienced comic book reader will tell you you don't fuck with that woman no you do not no she will like you know pull a like a sledgehammer out of nowhere and beat you about the head and shoulders with it so it just it's frustrating when she's reduced to just a plot device. I mean, in her very first appearance in Action Comics number one from 1938, I want you to focus on that year. Um, she, you know, they heightened the fact that Clark had to play the weakling to be Clark Kent. That, you know, Superman was this big, tough figure, but Clark Kent was a pushover weakling cuck. <laughs> and at one point, you know, he's escorted Lois to some kind of fancy gala because it's 1938. And, you know, some guy's like, hey, I'm going to go dance with her. And this other dude's like, no, I don't think her escort would like that. And he's like, no, I can beat him up. And so he goes stomping over to Lois and says, you're going to dance with me and you're going to like it. And Lois is like, go fuck yourself. And Clark's like, you know, oh, no, I have to be the weakling. And he says, Lois, you should just give him what he wants and dance with him. And Lois says, fuck no. And bitch slaps the guy. Like, 1938, Lois Lane bitch slaps the guy who is sexually harassing her. Mm-hmm. And Superman, as Clark Kent, is saying, Lois, no, don't. And in a whisper, you know, the those speech bubbles with the dashes through them to emphasize their whispering? Yep. He, said, he says, good for you, Lois. Like, so from her first appearance in 19-fucking-38, that, you know... It, Yo, to, to bring that into perspective, 1938 is the time where people would get fresh and essentially sexually assault women as flirting. Oh, so yeah. this is a big thing. And Lois is like, haha, no, fuck you. And, you know, from the radio shows, and I love the Superman radio shows. I am the kind of, I was, I'm the kind of bitch that actually, when I worked in the comic book warehouse, I would, and we're talking like 12 hour work days. Um, I would load up a bunch of Superman radio show episodes because there are literally a gajillion of them. And I would listen to them throughout the day. And so, you know, instead of, instead of podcast, I was listening to Superman radio shows from 1945 because I'm, I'm hopeless like that. And it was when they were doing Superman Reborn, you know, when they combined pre-New 52 and New 52 Superman. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, listening to this radio show and I'm bag and boarding these comics because we would ship them bag and boarded. And I stop and I'm looking at this thing of Superman triumphantly flying and I'm listening to Clan of the Fiery Cross or Order of the Fiery Cross. Superman smashes the clan, the comic book. It was adapted. It was adapted from a radio broadcast. I want to say 1946. 
where Superman saves a Chinese-American boy and his family from being attacked by the obvious Ku Klux Klan insert. Ironically, the Klan was so pissed about that series, they tried to sue. Wow. Good luck. So, and so I'm listening to that, and I'm listening, you know, and the, the Superman show had a very liberal tilt to it. Like, even at the time, you had, you know, veterans issues being talked about a lot. You know, the uh, the cereal commercial was kind of like, you need to make sure you don't waste any food because we're shipping food over to help rebuild the countries we just bombed. So, like, it is a very progressive tilt to it. So I'm look I'm listening to this and I'm looking at that comic book and I start to cry because I'm a little bitch. <laughs> no, you're not. Because like, you know, here I am, you know, 70 some odd years later that this is still the same character. And, you know, in the radio shows, Lois has a lot of cool shit to do. Lo radio Lois, don't give a fuck. <laughs> And the same woman, Joan Alexander, she voiced Lois from the Fleischer cartoons to the radio shows in the 40s to the 50s and then into the 70s. And from everything I have learned, she was a badass woman worthy of the title of Lois Lane. And so to see all of the cool shit that this woman has done in 85 goddamn years to be reduced to a fucking plot point. To see Wonder Woman, who is coming up, you know, on, you know, decades. She premiered the same year that Captain America did. Captain America is about eight months older than Wonder Woman. To see her just laying there dead. And, you know, at no point in the comic books have they killed Wonder Woman. Nope. Because, you know, that that's a potentially dangerous minefield because then you have the issue of fridging. And to see that Harley Quinn, Wonder Woman, and Lois Lane were all fridged. Just of fucked up. Be, just because man pain. And I was talking to a different friend about it, and he's like, well, Aquaman was dead too. And I'm like, but that, like... They didn't, okay. they didn't do anything. No one, like, talks about dead Arthur. I mean, Mara like, did. Like, Mara did, but... and, and fuck Amber Heard and her stupid fucking accent in this movie compared to Aquaman. But, like, fuck Amber Heard in general. But we'll fuck her and Johnny Depp. But that's not the point. <laughs> um, but, like... like, they like, 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 like unpleasant individuals. Exactly. They, they did it to each other. I'm, 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 like, both fandoms could hate me. I don't care. But, like, fuck her and that stupid accent. Like, no one cares about Amber Heard and her stupid-looking trident, which I don't understand why that trident was the one they gave her, of all the tridents to have like she looked stupid and her bitching about i'm going to avenge arthur i'm like no you're not <laughs> shut up <laughs> it was so dumb and then i i hated willem dafoe in this movie so much he, okay. like i like i already didn't like him that much as volko in the aquaman movie but to see him here with longer hair and more obnoxious i was like please go away Bruh, you know what was a few things that I, I was like rolling my eyes at? I love this movie in general, but there are two things. Go for any it. Time, any fucking time I saw an Amazon on the screen, I heard, ah! I'm like, okay, can they calm down on this? Please. Watch. There was no like option for captions on HBO Max, but they were just on. Mm-hmm. So we're not, we're the kind of people that put subtitles on when we watch anything. And the subtitle, every single time said ancient lamentation music. <laughs> 
And so every time it would pop up, Victoria and I would just look at each other because it just said ancient limitation music. What's funny about that shit was I felt like Zack Snyder was trying to one up the guitar rift and honey and I'm sorry Zach you can't one up the guitar <laughs> rift you already cre- you already created an, a monumental moment for a character why are you trying to reinvent the wheel here just let it ride you don't have to reinvent it just let it ride it was it was that and then the the fact that there was more slow mo in this movie than the entirety of the Matrix trilogy that had me fucked up it like. Was- I looked at me and said, that's why it's four hours long. We gotta make room for all the goddamn slow-mo. <laughs> oh, but it was such good slow-mo. Uh, also- oh, it was real hit and miss slow-mo. They had some great shit, and then other shit was like, this didn't need that. <laughs> I will say, I will say this is a small as fuck Easter egg. Also, for the se- before I say my Easter egg, for the sake of Ian, um, bravo <laughs> Ryan Choi. Bravo Ryan Choi. Because that I man got love- some fucking work. I fucking loved seeing Ryan. Like he he fucking put in work in this movie, and I was like, I, like yes, bravo, Ryan Choi. Ian deserves his credit for that. Amen. Um, but the, my favorite Easter egg, and it was so like catchy. If you didn't get it, you, it, it's fine. But Mary, what did Gordon call the the black cop? Chris- what? Crispin. Crispin. <laughs> he called him Crispin. Like, like, like Travis, do you know who who Crispin is? No. Gotham Central. Gotham Central, but also he was the first black specter. He was the first black person to be the specter. Shit. The dude that woke up at the end of Infinite Crisis? Yes. Yes. Oh shit. Okay. So you like I, I'm, I'm never. I never pass up an opportunity to do this, Travis. If you have never read Gotham Central, you need to. Yes, it's, it's Greg. Re- it's Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker. It's from about the early 2000s, but they deal with a lot. Like it looks at the sheer corruption that is running rampant in the GCPD. They they juxtapose it next to Batman and how he kind of interacts with some of these detectives. And it shows, you know, the absolute cesspit that Gotham can be. I mean, it is is Brubaker and Rucka at their finest. They didn't have to do that. But it was so, like, catch it and you'll miss it. But the fact that you gave a name to this black person who was here for five minutes and you made him one of my favorite characters from the 2000s and it was just like, thank you. You, like, just thank you so much. You didn't have to do that, but thank you for doing it. And it meant so much to me. Because <laughs> I, made, I made a noise when that happened and Victoria looked at me and I just went, Gotham Central! <laughs> Like literally, fucking um, Gordon looks at him because I, I compared the two scenes again, like on the Blu-ray, and dude doesn't even get a, a name. He you know, he's just there in that scene in the Whedon cut, but they just reinserted reinserted Christmas's name, and I'm like, yes, thank you, thank you for putting Christmas Allen back where he belongs because he needs to be here. Because what happens is, um, and what's funny is. In uh, Infinite Crisis, they brought Jim Corrigan, the original Spectre, back from the dead. Hence why the Spectre's running amok in the event. And Jim Corrigan literally kills this man. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes the Spectre. And it's so fucking cool the way they do it. So, like, it's such a cool, like, weird passing of the torch that it's just like, yes. 
do it. I love it's, this. It's justification for Alan's murder. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> one, uh, one little thing that I was a really big fan of is uh, towards the end when they have the the apocalypse roster and the GAL through the boom tube. Uh-huh. And it's basically the jail. Granny fucking down. goodness. Granny fucking goodness. Desaad. Uh like, but like and, Granny was so skinny. I was like, Granny, what kind of fitness plan are you on? What she happened? Beat asses. She beat bitches asses morning, <laughs> noon, and night. <laughs> like, I'm so used to Granny Goodness being this like thick, deep voiced woman for so long that you gave me up. Like, <laughs> I forgot there was Ed Asner that voiced Granny Goodness. Yes! Ed, Ed, Ed Asner voiced the Granny Goodness for so long, and it was so fucking weird. That's I mean, why. You, like, you don't really expect, like, this weird, like, cross between, like, Madame Gasket from Robots and, like, Ursula from The Little Mermaid when you think well, of no, Granny Goodness? Well, no, because, uh, like, uh, freaking Travis, I'm so used to him being, um, fucking, uh, Ed from like uh, like like the older Ed from Boondocks. I'm so used yeah. to Ed Asner being that. So when I, I found like, I found out as a kid that he was Granny Goodness, I'm like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> so to see yo. Granny Goodness be this like buff looking chick CGI next to Darkseid, I'm like, what the wait, what, where's that movie? Can we have that movie, please? I need to sidebar for a minute. A few weeks ago, Regina King hosted SNL. And there are a couple oh. of skits where she alters her voice, and I swear to God, all I heard was Riley. Well, yeah, that'll happen to you. All I heard was Riley. I just want to talk about one tiny little historical thing that made me angry just because I'm a know-it-all. Go for it. Okay, it's the scene uh, in Under the Temple of the Amazons where Wonder Woman drops down, and she's wearing goddamn heels. Like, first of all, no heel is that. I don't wear heels. Like... And no heel is that strong. I have tripped over enough of Victoria's to know. And it's just, I, I don't know. She's wearing a white coat and heels. I know she came from work, but really, girl, really. I mean, like, you gotta imagine her calves have to be fucking, men- like, m- like, perfect for her to do that kind of shit. Well, I mean, ha- have you seen her? That's fair. <laughs> Haha, horny on main. Um, <laughs> but she goes into the temp, you know, she goes into that little space, space under the temple of the Amazons and she sees, you know, the big portrait of Darkseid. And it looks to now, I don't read Greek, but I am obsessed with the Bronze Age, which, you know, the Bronze Age collapse happened around the 1100s BCE. So. We have no written records from the Greek Dark Ages from about 1000 BC to about 700 BC. Because 700 BC is when classical Greece got started. And it was during the Greek Dark Ages that the basically Phoenician alphabet became the Greek alphabet. And so when she's looking at this mural, it's the modern, it's the classical Greeks, you know, Greek Phoenician Greek alphabet. And depending upon how old this temple is, that means the temple would have had to have been constructed after 700 BC. If it was constructed during the Dark Ages, okay, maybe. But if Darkseid invaded 5,000 years ago, it wouldn't even be in Linear B, which is the inscriptions that the Mycenaean Greeks used. Because, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey is set during Mycenaean Greece. It's the ancient Greece of ancient Greece. It's Bronze Age Greece. That made me angry because I'm a know-it-all. Because I made, I made like, huffy noises, and I paused, and I talked to Victoria, and she just kind of went dead behind the eyes. 
So anyway, I wanted to say that I'm chatty. I'm a know-it-all. And now everyone can fast forward through this section. You're valid. (laughs) So Mary, Travis, we've talked a lot about how we have hated parts of the, uh, of what was changed about this movie. We lo- we talked about how we love the fixings that were in the, and then the respect that was restored to Ray Fisher. What are some like genuinely good shit we enjoyed about the Snyder cut? Uh, Bruce Wayne being Bruce Wayne and not some weird fucking obsessed with a dead guy type of motherfucker in this whole movie. Like, I- Oh, God, it was nice seeing Bruce just, I don't know, be more so Bruce. The interactions with him and Alfred were just that Snark- good. Snarky like Jeremy best Alfred. Oh, yeah, yes. and Jeremy Irons delivers my favorite version of Alfred in, in droves. In droves. Yes. Yes. And it's comparable, I, to, it's comparable to 2003, The Batman, where, like, that Alfred was just snarky as fuck constantly. Yes, and anytime Bruce would fuck up, it's like, oh, well, who would have thought that would happen? Because Alfred most definitely said something yes. before anything <laughs> went wrong. And so, I, I don't know, man, like, it was kind of to call back to what Mary said earlier, in, in the Whedon cut, Bruce felt like he was just obsessed with reviving Clark and only that like almost as if almost as if Clark was like a bat gadget it it was actually kind of (laughs) gay it was it was and then like you have Diana coming in like rubbing Bruce's like shoulders after the fight in the sewer like don't worry I I I, you you don't have to be gay I'll love you and then like he's so obsessed with he's so obsessed with being gay that he fucking like they have to feud about it and then she shows up on on the rooftop like thanks for coming he's like I only came for him I don't care if you're gay and it's like bro oh my god and I, I, I gotta say, like, I love Aquaman in both versions, but, like, I think, and one of my other favorite lines that Whedon put into the movie that Snyder took out was the scene on the car with Aquaman and Bruce, where Aquaman's like, bro, you're out of your fucking mind. And, like, and, and, like, and, he, and he goes, at least I don't, I'm not here with a pitchfork. And he just launches himself off the car. Granted, he still launches himself off the car. And the, and, the, and the line that he has with Cyborg, where he's like, my man, like, that's still there. That was that was Snyder, which I'm happy about. Um, I'm so glad they don't have to, like, come in and, like, have witty dialogue about coming to rescue Bruce, because, like, there's that, like, that that Ray Fisher ADR line where there, he's flying, and he's like, hey, blame the lady, we didn't want to come back for you. I'm like, did we need to hear that? Did you need to put that in there? Like, that, like, the entire fight in general is so glorious, because Aquaman proves that just because he's a water-based hero doesn't mean he can't kill a bitch, because he, like, is flying through the air like a fucking crazy person, okay. stabbing shit. Okay, you, when you said Aquaman is a water-based hero, that made me think of something. The Atlantis scene. Where oh Mira God, yeah. rips the water and the blood out of Steppenwolf's Oh, so cool. Like, I don't think a lot of people fully understand, and James, I think you could commiserate with this and someone mm-hmm. spiritually summon Ian, that <laughs> I don't think a lot of people understand just how deadly she is. She can literally fucking kill you. She can pull all of the water out of your body with a 
thought. Like, like there's this really cool scene in the Abnet run of Aquaman where she is the only one that has the ability to break this like Atlantean magic, like uh, the Trump level wall that's around Atlantis, and like she literally damages her body trying to break through it, and she does, and she loses her ability to breathe water for, from it, and has to literally like be regenerated and fixed by the Atlantean magics like she like powers through this shield to go save her husband and it's one of the most badass things she ever does and it's like yo this this woman is fucking glorious so when she rips the shit out of Steppenwolf I'm like yes fucking yes like like, yeah there's a a two issue uh section in Rebirth because it's after Arthur has disappeared and she's all just kind of like dude why are the fuck aren't you looking for him and they're like wait what and she's like fuck you guys and she takes down the entire justice league single-handedly because they made the mistake of trying to fight a bitch in water mm-hmm. like she is actually so quick at ripping the water out of people that she dehydrates the flash yep and he's like you realize i can run on water and she's like good luck trying to do that when you're fucking dehydrated mm-hmm. like and I hate to give Jeff Johns any credit, but in the early issues of the new 52, there is a really cool scene where she does that. Yep. Where there's a store clerk and he's actually, I don't know if it was, the, no, she breaks the store clerk's arm and then um, it's actually a hostage situation where a guy's going to kill his daughter. And she's like, here's one day without water, two days, three days. Oh, I'm going to kill you. So yep. It was really nice to see that deadliness reflected. I mean, in Abnett's early Rebirth run, she knocks the shit out of Superman. She does. Like, she just, you know, she's able to get the drop on him, and she clocks him. And he goes flying. Like, so it's a, it's a good hit. That's and- why, like, people, like, don't, like, need to keep acting as if, like, yeah, we hate Amber Heard, but, like, Mera is a fucking amazing character. I mean, in terms of the films, I'm just going to look at the character in isolation. The the Depp Heard thing, it is a fucked situation. And in my opinion, I think they're both just garbage people. Agreed. Like, that's all I'm going to say about it is that they seem like genuinely unpleasant individuals. One shouldn't have done either thing to the other. But in terms of the movies, like... Thankfully, I will say this. As awesome as the Atlantean scenes are, I love the fact that like there's so much more context in those scenes because there's this like like the part on land was so fucking cool. Aquaman made so much more sense. It is a yes. very clear even just that what yeah, I'm gonna be generous and say 10 to 15 minutes of Atlantean stuff compiled. It is yep. such a clear setup for Aquaman. The Victoria, mm-hmm. you know, Victoria and I looked at each other and she said, Aquaman makes so much more sense now. She's nope. like, she said, um, because Aquaman takes place after Justice League. And she said, mm-hmm. that is far more clear now because Mira just kind of pops up and she's like, hey, you got to go do something. And yeah. like, because Mira and Volko are setting Arthur up to handle Steppenwolf so they can depose Orm. Mm-hmm. Like, and I love how Orm's just not going to do anything. 
Yeah, he's like, like he gets so, like he doesn't care about Steppenwolf, but the minute you pollute his oceans, I'm pissed. Like you fuck with my oceans, we have war. What annoyed me is that Snyder poked at the flashpoint war between the Atlanteans and the Amazons. I, I found that, I found that to be wholly unnecessary. Yeah, he did. And um, there's a lot of things I want to see Diana and Mira do, and Diana beheading her is certainly not one of them. No, 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 no. Um, there's that scene where like they they they, 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 they just knew what I was getting at. I chose to slide past it because horny on man. We've already done enough of that tonight. But um, there's I'm that sure mo- there will be more. Oh, trust me, after reading Bombshells like you've been making me doing, I understand why you want Mara and Diana to do things. But anyway... Bombshells, spirits are... This is for Mary. This is for Mary. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I love you, Travis. (laughs) So, like, um... So, like, there's that scene they added back in that gives so much more context for Aquaman, where fucking, whoa, like, Willem Dafoe's like, take your mother's trident! And I'm like... Really? That's the best you got with, with, with like a cry of pain is to like, like, like it was just, it was so great and like and I'm so thankful they cut that man's hair and gave him a more like suitable outfit in the Aquaman movie because he looked like he was about to roll over and die in the Snyder Cut. <laughs> <laughs> like I just I like I, I like Aquaman mo- movie Willem Dafoe more than Snyder Cut Willem Dafoe. <laughs> That's just all I got for that. I just as the number one Aquaman fan here, I feel as if he was done so much more of a service in this movie by just those couple scenes and him just flying in to save Mara felt so much more earned here. Because Mara wasn't just a random woman in distress. She fucking fought for her life. Versus Arthur showing up and just backhanding the shit out of Steppenwolf. And him getting to be the one that just stabs the shit out of Steppenwolf at the end. And then Diana cleaves him. Was such a really cool dynamic. Especially when him and Diana are fighting uh, Steppenwolf while um, Victor is upstairs. That fight is so much better here compared to the the weed the Whedon version. It's right. so much better. So and I in, just in yes. the Whedon version, he like if you were to judge Momoa's like talent based on the Whedon cut, you would get that he's just wave breaks slow motion chugging a beer in his looks. Whedon didn't give that man any opportunity to shine except for being like a petulant, rebellious fuckwad. You know oh, what I'm I- saying? A line I really liked, it was after Victor Stone's death, and um, I think he's talking to Flash, but Arthur looks over, I I think it's Flash, he said, is Victor okay? And he's like, I thought you didn't care, and Aquaman just, he says, I never Never said that. that. Like, and the fact that, you know, Arthur has such a, a close, very loving relationship with his father, that losing his father is his biggest nightmare. Yeah. And how do you not have compassion for the man whose father just sacrificed himself? That is one hell of a death scene. Bro, and it was so like it, it and what's what's so sad is because I accepted what Whedon did and even enjoyed at the end of the Whedon cut, like a cyborg's armor transforming into more of the rebirth style and Silas staying alive. 
but just to give such a more like hyper fixation on cyborg here and to have silas go out in such a cool way to justify like him b being there for victor one last time which is oh because Sacra, I, mean, I love you for that <laughs> see sacrifice i i am like we all have our favorite tropes and sacrificial deaths are some of mine same and so oh sorry burped um <laughs> So, like, that scene was... Because I couldn't figure out what he was doing at first. I'm like, no, the, the door's not closed yet. Just scoochaloo out the door. And then when they point out that he marked the box, I'm like, holy shit. I mean, if you think about the scene, he was dead anyway. Like, as yeah. soon as Steppenwolf... He was dead anyway. It was just a matter of, did he go out on his own terms or did Steppenwolf axe him to death? <laughs> but... No, like, that was so cool. And something that I think doesn't get talked about enough is um, uh, Ray Fisher, he has a history of stage acting. Yep. And um, I, I, I did, um, I worked with professional theaters, community theaters, I was a stage manager. So I have a big affinity for stage acting. And that's what Ray Fisher's background is primarily in. And there's a certain degree of, you only get one shot when you're on stage. And it has to be a certain emotional range that you need to be able to pull up on command. I don't know if any of this is making any sense. No, it does. No, it makes sense. But Ray Fisher's range is phenomenal. Yep. And he emotes very clearly because that's a stage thing again. Like... You know, you have to be able to see, and the way his body language is, it's very clearly a stage acting. Yep. You see this with actors like Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, they're celebrated stage actors. And so just every movement that Ray Fisher makes is carefully calculated, and his range is incredible. Because when Silas is in the chamber and he is being superheated and disintegrated, the pain on his face yep. is incredible. And I appreciate that, you know, we got justice for Ray Fisher with this cut, but I think we also need to talk about the immense talent behind the man. Yep. And Thank I'm you. like, I want to take a baseball bat and be like, someone give him a fucking job. Like pretty much. Yeah. Like after this movie, he needs more work. He like, like Hamada needs to swallow his fucking pride or somebody at a different studio needs to give him a chance because this movie proves that Ray Fisher has the, the cojones to pull off his own solo project. And I want, because you know, it has been essentially confirmed that Cyborg has been removed from the Flash. Ugh. And I want to pop up, you know, because Christina Hodson, who wrote Birds of Prey, is also writing Flash. Now, I don't think Christina Hodson would just remove Cyborg for script reasons. No. No, 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 no. That decision came from upstairs, and it is very mm. obvious that decision came from upstairs. Mm -hmm. I just kind of want to pop up behind her and go, um, can, can we, like, you walk away for five minutes and I'll fix this, like. Yeah. All right, folks. So that that is our collective thoughts on the Snyder Cut. There was some, there was there was a lot of fucking good. Uh, there was a little we didn't like, but it was very minute. Um, 
a lot of stuff we didn't hit on, but in terms of like a show, I think we did really well. And we got over our point across. Uh, fuck Joss Whedon. Uh, yeah, I know that, I know that's consensus, right? Right? Con- consensus. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Joss Whedon. Okay. Fuck, yeah. So he can we, fuck we, off and die, in my opinion. Yeah. So like, I, I feel like we're we're we're, we're, we're in agreement. Thank God he didn't get to do his Batgirl movie. Oh God. Um, Jesus Christ, nightmares. I, um, I just remembered that, that he was going to do a Batgirl movie and he was going to adapt Simone's New 52 run. Oh, God. Which means Alicia Yo would have been at his disposal. My God, what would he have done with a trans woman of color? Oh, terrible things. Things Excuse that we don't want to talk about. No, no, no. Excuse no, me no. as I rock back and forth. So, thankfully, Snyder was given the opportunity to show his true vision. Um, it's one of my, his best pictures, in my opinion. Um, this thing stands as a touchstone of what happens when you give a, a creator full control. Um, didn't get to say it because obviously we're way over time, but Dark Side was pretty fucking cool. Oh but, yeah, no, Dark Side was very well done. Yes, um, Zeus was sexy. Uh, gotta make that clear one more time. Um, oh, I thought and, we weren't going to be horny anymore, James. Especially over niggas like Zeus. Hey man, <laughs> I said Ares was hot too. Like. It's okay. Aries ain't turning into swans and raping people. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Um, but anyway, folks, thank you for watching, uh, listening to this episode of Panel to Panel. Um, don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter at PTP underscore podcast. Um, follow the website on Twitter and Instagram at on Comics Ground. Check out the website on dash comics dash ground. Dot com for all of our amazing reviews, interviews, solicitations, all that great stuff, opinion pieces. And we will, uh, don't forget that this Wednesday we'll be having a double episode like this week where I will be interviewing Tate Bromble talking about the wrap up of Barbalian Red Planet. So get ready for that. And uh, we will be back next week again because we are trying to get back on the normal schedule. You will get to see an amazing episode where Kat Calamia is coming back and hanging out with Mary to talk about runaways. So get ready for that amazing show. Um, Travis, what is your closing statement for episode number 52, ironically enough? Um, uh, panel to panel. Run Ray Fisher his fucking money. <laughs> yes. Um, Mary, what is your closing statement for this episode of Panel to Panel? Uh, Ray Fisher was right. I I'm think going to someone... the title of the episode at this point, because goddamn. Someone needs to lock um, Ray Fisher, Jeff Johns, John Berg, and Joss Whedon in a room and just give Ray Fisher a baseball bat and what's going to happen is going to happen. You know? (laughs) That and Zack Snyder, we need to talk about women. Yep. So. All right. Uh, My closing statement, as always, is support your local local comic book shop. Um, Hashtag Ray Fisher was right. I am making the the title of this episode. Do it. Fuck. Good. And <laughs> I, I just dropped in the, in the chat the Batman Ray Fisher needs. Yes. <laughs> God damn it. Um, <laughs> and we will be back next week. Thank you, folks, for being here and helping us support uh, like the amazing show that we have come to create over the past two years. Uh, we will catch you, folks, next time right here at Panel Two Panel. Peace out. Mm-hmm.